Thousands of warriors will come rushing in Our ancestors wage war with the government In the spirit of Spotted Tail and John Trudell This is spiritual awakening They feed us lies, but we won't take it in Let us ride on the lands where our ancestors died Breathing life into our cultures they said were petrified They tell a history that our peoples don't recognize The U.S. government should be charged as genocide Hey everyone, you are listening to Vocalo Radio. I'm Jesse Menendez, my in-studio guest, one of my favorite artists, Mr. Frank Juan. How are you, sir? What's up, Jesse? It's good to be back, man. It's an honor to be here, and it's always a good time talking with you. It's an honor to be speaking with you. I always appreciate our conversations. I always feel I learn not just about you, but about our world and certainly your culture in general. So I'm always thankful for these conversations. Here in Illinois, we've officially made the change from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. How does that feel to you as someone who's been talking about the differences between a Columbus Day and an Indigenous People Day since forever? Yeah, well, you know, I definitely have seen a lot of change in the last year on that front. Even, you know, L.A. changed it to Indigenous Peoples Day. A lot of larger cities are making that movement as well. And for me, you know, I think uh, language is, is important. Also, you know, the naming of things, especially when it comes to settler colonialism, because erasing, renaming, or, you know, owning, changing the language of how a, um, a people or something is spoken about is a tool of settler colonialism. So, you know, celebrating an indigenous art uh, celebrating a, a colonial genocidal murder like Columbus and giving him a national holiday you know is definitely a tool of erasure and settler colonialism kind of um, glorifying that bloody past and erasing what really happened and holding up colonizers as heroes is definitely a tool of settler colonialism so you know seeing that shift even if it's small shifts like changing that holiday to indigenous people's day for me uh, um, you know our, our steps forward and, and signs of hope Personally, I never thought I'd see stuff like that in my lifetime, so it does give me hope. Something else has happened since we last spoke, and that's the visibility in the rise of white nationalism. Recently, there was a protest in Charlottesville, Virginia, violent protest. Unfortunately, somebody lost their life on that day. But one of the things that they were rallying around was the removal of these Confederate monuments, which we've been seeing happen more and more around the country. Mm. And I believe it was Geraldo Rivera who was upset about this and he said something along the lines of what's next are they going to remove columbus statues and everyone was like uh duh (laughs) so how do you feel about the sentiment around removing these celebrations these monuments to individuals who have a checkered pass in the confederacy but now we have individuals like christopher columbus who still have statues around the country yeah definitely i i think it's all connected um to our liberation, our freedom. And if you look at that, just, you know, the celebration of not only genocidal murders, but, you know, slave owners, um, you know, people, people who oppressed, you know, black folks, um, a, a ton of other, of other uh, you know, groups of people, you, you see those people celebrated and held up in this country. And you kind of see, you know, also how our histories are intertwined, how we're all kind of oppressed by the same entity. And, you know, I think uh, settler colonialism um, is the root of a lot of evils in this country because this country was founded through settler colonialism and it's still happening. You know, we still see settler colonialism alive and well in this country. So again, again, I think it all goes back to language and and I think removing those monuments, um, you know, especially the ones in the South, even the ones up here in the North, it's all part of, you know, 
shifting the, the way we talk about that history and be, being able to have an honest conversation about history and say, look, these men were not, were not heroes and, and they were not anyone to be celebrated. And, and yeah, we need to have a painful talk in this country about the real history of this country. It was, it was built on stolen land and stolen labor. We need to be constantly reminded of this country. And you know, for me as an indigenous person, one of the biggest monuments to settler colonialism and to my genocide is, is um, Mount Rushmore. And, you know, and I'm from South Dakota. I was born and raised in South Dakota. And my people, the Lakota Nation, originally occupied South Dakota along with other states because we were nomadic. And actually, the Black Hills where Mount Rushmore is built is our most sacred place in the world. We were actually promised that site. We were promised the Black Hills and the treaty my nation, the Lakota Nation, signed with the U.S. government. But the U.S. government found gold there and they found uranium. And so, you know, um, historically, they, they, they found these resources and they took it, took the Black Hills from us. They, they broke every treaty they ever made with every indigenous nation in this country. And they carved the, the faces of presidents that wanted my people dead into our most sacred mountains, huge, gigantic monument. And now other settlers and other Americans pay, pay millions of dollars in tourism to go see that monument every year. And, you know, n my people don't see any of that any resources from that you know so I think that's all it's all connected to the to the real history of this country and how you know we need to have honest conversations about the truth of what happened for this country to be built and the truth about what's happening in this country history books your holidays Thanksgiving lies in Columbus Day tell me what I know more than the teacher tell me what I know more than the preacher tell me why you think the red man is red stained with the blood from the land he bled tell me why you think the red man is dead with the fake head on your head. Tell me what you know about thousands of nations. Displaced and combined to concentration camps called reservations. We died for the birth of your nation. Hollywood portrays us wrong. History books say we're gone. You got a church, say we're wrong. Last we spoke, there was a lot going on in the Dakotas with the acts of water protection. Mm. I remember one of the last things that was happening that made national news was that it was the largest gathering of indigenous tribes in, in I believe it was the history of yeah, the country. Yeah, I think country. it was the world, yeah. Yeah. What's happened since then? Have we forgotten? I know you just said, I feel like I always have to remind people, and I think that's important because mm -hmm. I think, as you've seen, once it cycles out of the news, people just forget. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely important to, to keep reminding people. And as far as, you know... Um, the movement that was happening out to Standing Rock with the, the you know, the no, no DAPO movement trying to stop that pipeline. Unfortunately, because, <laughs> you know, we are living in a settler colonial state, th they did end up building that pipeline and drilling under the river. And, you know, through acts of, of military force and using taxpayer dollars, they really brutalized a lot of people. And, you know, it's funny, we see this conversation happening in this country right now around these, these kind of these, these white supremacist, um, you know, gatherings and, and and, and and this kind of you know resurgence are more visibility of that movement. I think it's always been around. We're just seeing seeing it getting braver about coming back out again. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, freedom of speech in this country should be able to express whatever. And 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 my question is, where were those freedom of speech people? Because a lot of them are, are are white people. Where were they whenever you know? A ton of people from around the world were being brutalized at Standing Rock for, for freedom of speech. It's the same, same issue, you know, it was just for clean water. And if you look back, 
that land that that was that was all this conflict was happening on out to Standing Rock was promised to the Standing Rock tribe in the treaty that they signed with the U.S. government. So again, we have the U.S. government breaking their own laws, going back to the documents that founded this country. You know, so indigenous people have been saying, um, you know, as long as I've been alive, I've been hearing my elders saying you can't trust the government. They break their own laws because you know, look at what they did to us. And so you know, we we've been saying that in Standing Rock kind of brought a lot of that to a global platform, you know, media wise. But to me, Standing Rock was a culmination of many smaller Standing Rocks, I'll say. Um, you know, even on, on, on the reservation I'm from, which is about, you know, five, six hours south of the Standing Rock Reservation, even before, you know, the big No Dapple movement, we were battling the Dakota or the Keystone XL pipeline, set up a smaller camp there, got that pushed back. You know, so these, um, whether you're talking about, you know, even um, the Oak Flat, protect Oak Flat movement down, down in Arizona, where you have the Apache tribe trying to protect one of their sacred sites. These are happening in almost every state. Almost every state, there's a movement of indigenous people in a nation indigenous to that state trying to protect a sacred site. Um, so, you know, it's still happening. Even though Standing Rock is over, a lot of the movement now is divestment. Divesting from banks, divesting from corporations that are funding these projects that are essentially, you know, contributing to our death, you know, contributing to our people dying, even if it's poisoning our water, because that's an act of war, that's an act of genocide. And so now um, we're seeing a lot of really great organizing from indigenous organizations and indigenous movements, collaborating with non-native organizations and movements to divest. And, and we've even seen like, you know, the city of Seattle divested from the Bank of Wells Fargo, which, which invests, you know, millions, if not billions into these pipelines. So we're even seeing cities now divesting um, from these banks, but uh, because of indigenous movements pressuring them to. America on the colonies can't abolish me A hipster in a headdress still ain't as hot as me Seven generation living, breathing prophecy Hear my ancestors from the other side Hear my ancestors every time I ride We got some music to talk about Yes <laughs> One of the things I remember from one of our last conversations Was you said because technology is becoming more mobile Software is becoming more mobile Obviously phones and laptops What we're going to start hearing for the first time since hip-hop was created was not just indigenous hip-hop, but what the music itself will sound like, because now you have indigenous producers, whereas before you had indigenous rappers, but they were rocking over you know, industry beats or mm -hmm. beats from SoundCloud. So what's happened with that movement, with indigenous producers, and what is the sound that we are now hearing from the reservations? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing a, a ton of really incredible indigenous artists, including music producers, not only in the U.S., but in Canada as well. A lot of really inspirational stuff. And as far as like back home where I'm from, um, uh, man, the, ki the kids have so, so much crazy technology at, at their hands with phones. So I'm, I'm seeing a ton of dope, you know, um, videographers, filmmakers, a ton of great um, media makers, you know, not only musicians, but just a ton of really dope media makers. And so, 
you know, I, I speak and perform in a lot of indigenous communities, including um, not only my own. And so when, when I do and I do see these talented, creative, brilliant kids with, you know, the, now the tools to express themselves, I'm always encouraging them to to keep telling our stories and and in their own way and in whatever they, way they see fit. Because, you know, up until now, I really, up until the Internet, I, I really believe, you know, a ton of media that was out about indigenous people and our reality was stereotypical and, and created by non-native people you know we, whether it was film music um you know literature a lot of times it was just non-native people writing stories about native people and a lot of these media makers had never even been in an, in an indigenous community ever in their lives and so I, I encourage young native people musicians artists filmmakers photographers writers to keep telling our stories f- Keep telling them what home looks like from our perspective, you know, because I think that's so important. I think stories are really powerful and are a powerful tool of, of, of communication. And I think indigenous people are some of the best storytellers in the world because some of our, our oral traditions and stories have survived genocide for 400 plus years without ever being written down. And that's a testament to the, the strength of our storytelling ability. So I see my music um, just as a continuation of that storytelling tradition. I choose music as my medium to tell my story let's get into the ep the ep is called the bridge so here you are now you have the ability to produce your own tracks obviously you've been writing for a minute what is the sound that you Mm. wanted to create with this Mm. ep well um you know this ep is called the bridge for for more than one reason you know my generation of indigenous storytellers indigenous creatives indigenous educators you know we're all really kind of a bridge for this coming generation to know themselves better to understand and be connected to culture and language at a younger age than we were and to be able to you know be connected to their roots in a way we didn't really have and so you know it's that's an indigenous perspective is always thinking about coming generations what will your impact be what type of ancestor will you be but also this bridge this out this ep is a bridge sonically between you know like the album i'm going to put out next honestly i'm sitting on probably about two albums worth of unfinished music because i'm always creating but i'm always on the road and it's hard for me to um to do everything at once because I produce and I also engineer and mix my own music, you know. So, so really, what you're hearing in this EP is the first time I've really felt comfortable and confident that this is a product from you know the way it's produced to the way it's mixed to the way it's written to the way it's even recorded. That it really captures the essence of where I come from. On the production end, you know, it starts out kind of aggressive and raw, and it kind of like tells a story too. The, the trajectory of the tracks kind of tell the story of what I've been going through in the last two or three years because I haven't put a project out. And I've really been going through a lot of transformation. It's been a really transformative time for me. A lot of healing personally, a lot of dealing with a lot of, you know, anger and frustration and pain. And so you hear that in the beginning of the album um, and the sounds reflect that. A lot of really gritty, raw sounds. Um, you know, I've been really getting into a lot of analog gear lately so, so it, there's a lot of depth and warmth to the sound. And it features a lot of other indigenous artists that I've been able to you know be fans of and meet along the way so there's a lot of indigenous musicians poets you know other rappers and singers and people from home a lot of a lot of artists from home that I've been working with since I'm 14 years old are on the album EP the story Trees with various Indian tribes all across our nation. All was lost. 
had the pleasure, the honor of previewing a number of these tracks even before you sent me the, the entirety. So I'm familiar with some of these, but let's get into one that I hadn't heard before. Let's talk about Treaties. Yes. This song, just on the surface by the title, you kind of know what to expect going in. At least that's what I thought. But I think what always surprises me about you, Frank, and your narrative is your ability to bring it home to someone who might not be familiar with the history of this country and certainly of your people. Tell me about this track and the presentation of it. Yeah, this song, like each of my songs has, each song is usually born from a story. And I think, you know, again, that comes from just us coming from a storytelling people. So the story of this song um, is actually, in its inception, it's kind of funny. I, I did this song December of 2016, and I had actually taken time off the road, and I had actually just had... Um, had oral surgery. So I had all my wisdom teeth out, all four of them, and I had an extra set of adult teeth. So I had six teeth all out at once. And so my mouth was all stitched up and super messed up. I couldn't move my mouth. I couldn't rap. And, you know, I couldn't Kanye it. I couldn't just go through the wire because I, I wasn't messing with prescription drugs. You know, I don't mess with Western meds. And so my mouth just really hurt. So I couldn't rap, but I had time off. And when I have time off, you know, like, I'm always I'm always working on music because it's like it, it's like an itch that I have to scratch to me. You know, I love to do it. I'd do it every day if I could. So I was still working on music, and I was working on. I always wanted to to flip. You know, treaties. Um, the original sample is from a Leonard Cohen song called um, Never Mind. And there was just so many lines in there that resonated with the experience of indigenous people. And I remember thinking like, man, this song has to be about natives. Like it resonated so much with our experience that I was like thinking there's no way an indigenous producer hasn't already sampled this. And so I went and did my research and I saw no one had sampled that. So I started working on on that beat after I had surgery, but I couldn't rap, you know? And so I was like, what am I going to do? And so I was like, you know what? There's a ton of YouTube interviews of indigenous elders speaking about treaties in a way that's, you know, much more intelligent and eloquent than I ever could. So I'm just going to like, you know, grab grab some of their their narrative and put it in the verses. And actually, I was kind of inspired by I was listening to a lot of um, Chicago juke music at the time. And I forget which, which old school juke artist, but I was listening to an interview by him and he was saying like a lot of juke songs. Was it R.P. Boo? Yeah, I think it was R.P. Boo. And he was talking about how a lot of juke songs were just like, you know, they were just capturing the everyday life of their community. Like it would be like about a funny dance or something funny he heard in the community and he would just turn it into a song. So that was kind of me just taking something that's really everyday in our community, elders speaking about, you know, our history. And, you know, we talk about treaties a lot when it comes to, you know, our politics and, and indigenous law. So this is something I just grew up hearing all the time is elders talking about treaties. So I decided to just put that in, in a track, literally. And so that's kind of how treaties was born. I had to leave my life behind. I dug some graves you'll never find. The stories told with facts and lies. I have a name, but never mind. The war was lost. The treaty signed. There's truth that lives and the truth that dies I don't know which so never mind your victory was so complete some among you thought to keep a record of our little lives the clothes we wore the way we died yeah yeah, that, that was the uh, original song, and I heard that, and I was just like, wow. You know, he, he was probably, Leonard Cohen, you know, he was brilliant. He's a deep man. He's probably writing about several things, but it just 
resonated with indigenous experience. So I sampled it, I sped it up. And I was also listening to a lot of Chicago House at the time, you know, um, so I, I, you can also hear that influence in the track. So, you know, it was just the influence of a, a lot of different things and kind of came through the filter of my brain and my production and came out in treaties. You know what the sixth article of the U.S. Constitution is? That treaties are the supreme law of the land. It actually says that in the U.S. Constitution. Treaties are the supreme law of the land. The treaty sign. The treaty sign. The truth. The truth in The treaty sign. Tell me about basements. Yeah, man. Oh, this is. I, I love this song. This is one of my favorite songs in my careers. So th this song features um a, a group called Nake Nulawau. I'm a part of this group, and this group is very near near and dear to my heart. This group is actually how I started out recording music. So this is the group I started back home with some relatives and some friends. I was much too shy when I started out making music to put my songs out myself. I was a very shy, insecure kid, and music was just kind of this, this place, this thing that I liked to do because it made me feel good. And so I never put my songs out. I would just write songs and just for me. And I, I started a group with um, my cousin. He's like a little brother to me. He's my little cousin, known each other since he was born. His name's Colin Whirlwind Soldier. He goes by Rolly Raps, one of the most talented rappers I've, I've ever had the pleasure to work with. So him and I started making music together when we were teenagers. And then my cousin, um, she married this, this guy from Virginia, this black dude from Virginia named Andre Easter, and he moved out to our res and they started a family. Um, he goes by Dre, everyone knew him by Dre. And he sang and he rapped, and he had Southern flavor because he was from Virginia. And we had never heard anyone that sang or rapped like him before on our res because we were just all these kids out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the country. And so me, Dre, Colin, and our friend Tom, who was um, this, this young man, from our res, he was black and native and he rapped and he was really sick. We, we started a group called Nake Nulawangu, which is a Lakota phrase. It means I am always ready at all times for anything. And it's an old philosophy our people have. And we decided to just call ourselves that because, you know, we were growing up in a crazy, crazy place. Um, the place I come from has a lot of a lot of issues just being survivors of genocide. And, you know, that reservation historically being a concentration camp, being a place where my people were marched to die. So, you know, there's a lot of um, substance abuse, a lot of violence. You know, it's just a tough place to grow up. There's an 80 percent unemployment rate on our reservation. Our biggest high school has a dropout rate of like 75%, you know, so the odds are kind of stacked against us. So we just kind of really felt like you had to always be ready at all times for anything just to survive. So we call ourselves Nake Nulawangu. And um, that was actually who I won my first two Native American Music Awards with. I, I put out two albums with them. It was the first time I felt confident enough to put out my music. We did a ton of shows on my reservation at youth events. Started, you know, first first ever radio play back home on my reservation was was with this group, and then life happened. Um, you know, our, our, our uh, my cousin-in-law Dre, he had to get a job to support his family because you know, <laughs> being an upcoming rapper on a poor reservation doesn't really support your family, and so he had to take that route. And then my little cousin Colin ended up um, getting in an accident where he was driving and it, uh, he wrecked and his best friend died and the feds sent him to the federal penitentiary for manslaughter. So he got sent off to the pen 
for manslaughter of his best friend in a messed up situation. And then our friend Tom went off to the Marines, fought in Afghanistan, came back. And for some reason, he didn't even know why. He got cancer really bad and died from cancer at 22. So the whole group just kind of like, you know, life happened. And that's just kind of how it is where I come from. Like those things happen, you know, like people you love die young. People you love get locked up, you know. Um, and I think Colin, uh, Rolly Rapp said it very well in his verse in Basements. He's like, you know, where I come from, it's either it's either prison or meth is you know it's like sometimes that's the option for, for for a lot of us so that song actually is about that time when we would just make music in a in a basement in my cousin's basement I had the studio set up there and the basement was our safe haven from all this darkness and the craziness that was happening on the res the um we lived in that basement you know hot summer nights cold winter days we were in there every day that song features all original four members of the group even our friend Tom that passed away, I found an old verse. He attracted mine, and he's at the very end. I chopped it up, fit it on the beat. My my little brother Rolly raps. He's now you know he's not out of the pen. He's got turned his life around. He's getting back into music. This was his first verse, right out of, fresh out of the pen. I went back home one summer to the res, and Dre was home as well. And we all recorded this in a basement on the res about that time, you know. And even though life took us all in different directions, we still come together around music. And this song is about that time, and that this. The song kind of encaptures the energy, encapsulates the energy of that time. It was a very fun time. It was a very dark time. It was a very cathartic time. But, you know, we were like writing a song a day, so it was like run and gun. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> Frank, thank you so much for speaking candidly as always, man. Mm -hmm. Continued success. and always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, man. It's an honor to be here, and I hope you guys enjoy the music. Thank you very much. I never have nothing but my music in my tribe. Young storyteller coming from the res live. There's only so much I can even describe. So I spit rhymes as good as the government lies. Save money just so I can build a studio. Build a studio so I can